You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. We're constantly connected, and there's an expectation for the workforce to be constantly on, constantly responsive. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Hacking Humans podcast, where each week we look behind the social engineering scams, phishing schemes, and criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations around the world. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire, and joining me is Joe Kerrigan from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. We've got some good stories to share this week, and later in the show, Carol Terrio has a story about employee burnout and how it could present a security risk. Hmm. But first, a word from our sponsors, No Before. Have you ever been to security training? We have. What's it been like for you? If you're like us, ladies and gentlemen, it's the annual compliance drill, a few hours of PowerPoint in the staff break room. Refreshments in the form of sugary donuts and tepid coffee are sometimes provided, but a little bit of your soul seems to die every time the trainer says, next slide. Well, okay, we exaggerate, but you know what we mean. Stay with us. And in a few minutes, we'll hear from our sponsors at Know Before, who have a different way of training. And we are back. Joe, you want to start things off for us this week? I do, Dave. My story comes from Sarah Krause over at the Wall Street Journal, mm. and it's a story about a woman named Nina Bayless. Nina is an oncology nurse in her 60s, and she got a phone call from the FBI. As and our a, listeners can't see my fingers doing the air quote things here, but they <laughs> yeah, are. Yeah. And of course, he sounded official on the phone, gave Nina a badge number and said her identity had been compromised. Okay. And he told Nina that her social security number had been stolen and that crimes had been committed under that social security number. Yeah. And they were bad crimes like drug deals and money laundering and things of that nature. And of course, the FBI agent goes, well, I know you didn't do this, so, but you've got to help us with this, right? And it's a scammer. And he convinces her to transfer her life savings to an account under the auspices of protecting the money from being lost to a scammer. Mm -hmm. Right. And the whole time he's on the phone with her, he is coaching her on how to answer compliance questions at the bank and what to do and and telling her, stay on the phone with me. Mm. So he's he's filled her mind with fear and all this other stuff. We'll get more on that later. But she transferred her life savings of $340,000 to this guy. And I say guy, but it's probably actually an organization of people Mm -hmm. Uh, because the the article goes into how it works. They left a voicemail message for her. And when she called the number back in the voicemail, she told them her name and was transferred to the scammer. So it's obviously an organization that profits from doing this. The ease with which the money was moved out of these accounts is why these scams continue to persist, according to this article. Okay. They work on people who think they won't even fall for one. And of course, we talked about this many times, but this scammer kept Nina in a state of complete isolation and, of course, clouded her judgment with all this fear about her social security number being used for all these illicit purposes. Law enforcement, telecommunications executives, and psychologists have all paid attention to this case because it's unique in the amount of money that she's lost. Generally, I think we've talked about this, the average loss for someone, an older person, might be in the four to $5,000 range. And this is two orders of magnitude beyond that. It's yeah. big. Yeah. 
uh, and it's an asymmetric problem. It's inexpensive for these fraudsters to make these calls out, and it's very difficult for law enforcement to trace them back and follow them all up. Yeah, especially these days with yeah. all the voice over IP stuff. Exactly. And, all and that's yeah. how these guys are doing it. They're using internet based phone calls so they can make it even appear as if they're coming from your area code or even your prefix is what the, the first three digits of after the area code is right. prefix. There is an interesting quote in here from a psychologist who says what's being played on is a habitual or socially imposed reliance on people in authority. That uniform or that representation of authority, assumably elicits trust in a situation where you might be less likely to trust. Mm -hmm. So just the fact that someone says they're from law enforcement makes you more susceptible to believe them. Yeah. Particularly if you have this ingrained in your psyche. Now, I don't know. I tend to think that I have a, a lack of respect for authority. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So maybe for me, this might not be the trigger. But, you know, we've talked about what my triggers would be before. Yeah. And things that would get me to fall for things. I think most of us have this inherent trust of law enforcement, particularly at the federal level. Yeah, I think so. I'm just trying to imagine if someone, if, if a police officer knocked on my front door right. and said, hi, I, I need your help. Something has happened in the neighborhood. Can I ask you a few questions? I would be inclined to help. Would you? I would, yeah. See, yeah. That, that whole situation terrifies me. <laughs> and I don't know that I would be inclined to help. I think a lot of people justifiably have skepticism or, or fear of the police. Yeah. There's plenty of stories about why that's justified. I do not. Uh, just, you know, who I am, how I've grown up and all that sort of stuff. I guess there's a, there's a certain amount of deference, I suppose, that would be automatic in me. I am not automatically adversarial with yeah, law enforcement I, or I, people in, in that not, kind of a power position. Yeah, I do not get adversarial, but I would be and I, I would probably ask the, the next question that would come out of my mouth is what what are we talking about here? And to, I guess, assess whether or not he's looking. I don't know. I, I'm just always suspicious of the. <laughs> yeah, things. but maybe well, it's but just in, me. I mean, but in maybe, this specific case, this right. alleged law enforcement person right. came to her and said, I'm here to help. Right. You're in trouble. Yep. I'm trying to protect your money. Someone's doing all these bad things in your name. Yep. And I'm here to make sure that all this money you spent your life saving is, is protected. Is protected. Right. And boy, that pushes a lot of buttons. It does. It absolutely does. And unfortunately, the trust of the law enforcement plays into that. This is a pretty common scam that's making the rounds these days. It is this. a very common scam. It's actually uh, the, the article has a very interesting graph about how how much it's increased in terms of reported incidences of calls and re and reported loss. It is paywalled, unfortunately. The but article, it's a, a yeah. really good article. It has a great graphic about the map of her conversation with the guy over time. Really enlightening. If you have a subscription to the Wall Street Journal, you should definitely look at it. And I think the Wall Street Journal should make this public, like to do for some of their other long-form articles. This would be a real public benefit. Yeah. All right. Well, we will have a link to that in the show notes. My story this week actually comes from a YouTube video that I happened upon. Uh -huh. This is from a YouTuber. Uh, his screen name is Goldshaw Farm. He raises ducks. Okay. And uh, he's posted a video titled The $139 Shed Scam. Huh. Now, here's how it works. You or me are on Facebook and we're scrolling through and some ads are going by as they do, peppered throughout the content in these social media platforms. Right. And an ad comes by for a shed, $139 shed. Is this an ad in the Facebook marketplace? No, this is just an ad, you know, a targeted ad. Okay. Yeah. Comes by, it says, great deal, 
you know, blowout sale, whatever. Uh, I would like to have a shed for $139. Well, that is where we're going with this All right. show. So $139 shed. See, law enforcement comes to my door. I'm suspicious, but somebody offers me a nice shed for a cheap price. So, I'm in. There you go. See, we all have our things. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you see this shed and you're interested in this shed and you look around and you poke around to see what does this sort of shed go for? There are photos of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is uh, usually a shed that's much more expensive than this. It's, it's a, a nice shed. shed that goes in hundreds of dollars. This is a quality shed. And so you click through to the website. Everything looks legit on the website. Lots of uh, legalese and things about shipping and setup and uh, return policies and so on and so forth. And so you decide, all right, I'm going to buy myself this $139 shed. Where can I go wrong? Yeah, what could possibly go wrong? So you order the shed and almost right away, within 24 hours or so, you get an email that says, good news, your shed has shipped. It's coming from China as things do these days. Okay. It's on a boat. It's going to take probably a couple weeks to get there, but it is on the way, and here's your tracking information for your new shed. Ah, okay. So everything's going great so far. You're just imagining your lawnmower safe and sound inside of this. Get it out of the garage handy into the shed. new yes. shed. Yes, you're going to be a hero. <laughs> so some time passes, a couple weeks go by, and you've been keeping an eye on your tracking link, and sure enough, this, the, your shed is on the way. You can see it. And then uh, you, you get a package in the mail, and it is not a shed. <laughs> is it a model of a shed? It is not a model of the shed. It's probably nothing looking or related to a shed at all. Might be a couple pieces of plastic or some industrial parts or a couple of bolts or something. Or But it is most definitely not a shed. Okay. In fact, it is a small box, most likely, without a shed. So you think, uh-oh. This is not good. Right. Where's my shed? Well, this, this doesn't look like a shed. I can't even make a shed out of this. <laughs> right, exactly. This isn't even like an Ikea shed where I have to <laughs> put it together myself. So you contact the folks who sold you the shed and they say, oh my goodness, I'm, we're so sorry. This is, this is terrible. We must have made a mistake in uh, shipping. We will now ship you your shed. Right. It's going to take a couple more weeks, uh-huh. but your shed is on the way, rest assured. Now, how much time has passed already? Probably about three weeks. Okay. So what's happening? Can I guess what's happening? You sure can. And what's happening is they are slowing this transaction down so that your time to contest the transaction has elapsed. Precisely right, John. All right. Precisely right. Yeah, I see where this is going. <laughs> so a couple more weeks go by. Nothing shows up. And you try to get back to these people, and chances are they may even be gone at this point. Right. But they are no, no longer going to be responsive. So you go to your credit card company, and you say, hey, I'd like my $139 back. And they say, well, it's been, it's been a couple months now. Right. I'm sorry. This is between you and the company. Yep. We can't get involved with this anymore. Yeah, you should have let us know within the 60 or whatever day Whatever the is. limit is. Yeah, they've exceeded that. And, of course, the company itself is not responsive. They're overseas and, and might not, not even be where they used to be. Their website might be gone. Yep. So you're out your $139. You probably think to yourself, well, that was a tough lesson learned. Yep. But it's not a huge amount of money either. It's not. So your chances are you're not going to go to the ends of the earth. You're not going to order a plane ticket and go over and confront these people in person. No. For $139. That would cost way more than $139. Exactly. Exactly. So at the end of the day, you're probably just going to give up and chalk it up to learning a hard lesson. Yep. $139 lesson. Yep. And you don't get your shed. Yes. So 
It is. I really wanted that shit. (laughs) A couple things. Yeah. And now your wife's mad at you because the lawnmower's still in the garage. (laughs) Right. So a couple things I thought worth noting here. The online component of this, Mm -hmm. that these folks are able to precisely target likely shed purchasers via Facebook. Right. Well, that's part of the Facebook business model. Exactly. Facebook knows that you have a house with a yard in it. Right. Or or you're a farmer or like this guy who made this YouTube video. He has a small farm. He raises ducks. Right. He has a lot of sheds. Yes. So they're able to efficiently go after potential marks. Right. Thanks to Facebook. Thanks to Facebook. Yeah. Yay. The other thing, part of this is, to me, I wonder how much this is almost like gambling. In other words... If you were going to go buy a $139 shed right? and you went and you did your homework and you saw the shed normally goes for $800 mm-hmm. and it usually costs, I don't know, $139 just to ship it. Yeah. You're going to be skeptical. At the same time, $139. Mm, I could see a shed that would normally cost $800 or something that normally cost $800 coming out of China for $139. But I'm thinking something in your mind might say, you know what? I'm going to roll the dice here. Right. This is, I'm going to gamble. In the back of your mind, you're probably thinking, this is too good to be true. Yeah. But it's not a whole lot of money, right? I mean, in the grand scheme of things. And it's a bet I've got to take because what if I actually do get a shed? What if I get this great, what if it turns out, yeah, and you can just picture yourself (laughs) with this brand new shed. shed. (laughs) Standing next to your new shed. Yes. Uh, Your wife falling down. Yes, your wife swooning (laughs) because... Of how masculine you look standing next to your brand new shed. (laughs) And also, she's so happy because with all the money you saved, now there's many other things that you can, you can, you two can go on a a lovely vacation. Like a second lawnmower. (laughs) Exactly. That's probably not what she has in mind. But so I I don't know. It it just struck me as an, as an interesting one. There's a lot of components here. There are. It makes this scam work. This is a good one. It's an interesting business model for the scammers. What really strikes me as a standout thing here is that they send you something. So they incur some kind of cost, probably not a big cost. It probably costs them $5 to send that to you, maybe maybe another $5 to ship it. Maybe, actually, I'll bet, I will bet that it costs them nothing to get those parts. Yeah. But essentially what this is, is a way for people to move garbage out of China into the U.S. <laughs> but there's the, and they're sending our recycling back to us. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's very clever, very clever indeed. Yeah, I think so. So if you're out and about uh, on social media and you're in the market for a shed, be mindful. Yes. <laughs> and as always, if it seems too good to be true, it, it probably, probably is. is. And it seems like this one is not worth gambling on. So uh, go buy your shed locally. <laughs> All right. That is my story. It is time to move on to our catch of the day. Joe, our catch of the day actually came to me. This is something that arrived in Dave's inbox. Came to my inbox. I was actually surprised to see it because, you know, many things don't make it through to your inbox these days. Yeah, a lot of spam gets filtered out. Yep, yep, but uh, but this one did. So uh, this is a good one. It goes like this. Good evening. We made a data processing seizure for act of pornography, perverse, and procuring pedophile on the computer network. This constitutes an infringement on the computer network and an offense punished by the law within sight of Articles 706-35-1 and 706-47-3 of the Criminal Procedure Code. It should be known that we have just undertaken deepened information. We have in our possession several evidence concerning your infringement. I make a point of telling you that this is not a joke if you do not take account of it as you think it, knowing you adopted attitudes 
used in pornographic matter with minor. Those laws prohibit that. For your good and your family, we make a point of telling you to return in contact with our legal institution. We are in charge of this business. As a person in charge like you, I advise you not to flee your responsibilities. I am not there to blame your reputation and harm your life, but if you force me, I will be obliged to proceed by the strong manner in order to put your naked photographs on the table of the ambassador, like all parts justifying your incrimination with respect to this business, so that a legal proceeding is launched against you whose gender Marie of your city will undertake your arrest for a firm judgment. Your information will be put on the net and will be transmitted to the press for the publication of your photographs. P.S. Your colleagues will be with the perfume of what you do on the net with the minor ones, because they they will have your naked photographs on the net. They will have access to your information. Please receive our best greetings. Jürgen Stock, Bureau de Chief Brigade. Hmm. Joe, I'm in big trouble. Yeah, you are. Yeah. <laughs> I can already smell the perfume from here, Dave. <laughs> this yeah. is obviously something that went through a, a translation engine. I don't know what a gender Marie is. I, I guess it must have been French at some point. French I guess. police. Okay. All right. Very good. It's uh, actually a French police station. Ah. All right. Well, a good one. Uh, not worth a whole lot of time. Pretty straightforward what they're after here. But right. uh, I did not reply. You did not. <laughs> I did okay. not. Right to the trash bin. This one went. Yeah. <laughs> Away yeah. you go. Away it went. All right. That is our catch of the day. Coming up next, Carol Terrio has a story about employee burnout and how that could present a security risk. But first, a word from our sponsors, Know Before. And now back to that question we asked earlier about training. Our sponsors at Know Before want to spring you from that break room with new school security awareness training. They've got the world's largest security awareness training library, and its content is always fresh. Know Before delivers interactive, engaging training on demand. It's done through the browser and supplemented with frequent simulated social engineering attacks by email, phone, and text. Pick your categories to suit your business. Operate internationally? Know Before delivers convincing, real-world, proven templates in 24 languages. And wherever you are, be sure to stay on top of the latest news and information to protect your organization with Know Before's weekly Cyber Heist News. We read it, and we think you'll find it valuable, too. Sign up for Cyber Heist News at knowbefore.com slash news. That's K-N-O-W-B-E, the number four, dot com slash news. And we are back. Joe Carol Terrio has a story for us. Always great to have her back on the show. She speaks with Chris Bush. He is from Observe It. He's been on our show before. Mm-hmm. And they're talking about employee burnout and how that can lead to security risks. Here's Carol Terrio. So we keep hearing about employees burning out. Long hours, constant connectivity, intense monitoring of online and offline activities. I mean, it's exhausting just thinking about it. Now, I've invited Chris Bush, CISO at Observe It, to help us better understand how employee burnout could be affecting companies across America. Chris, first, thank you so much for joining us today. It's my pleasure. So now talk to me about burnout. Apparently, even the World Health Organization has it now classified as a bona fide syndrome. Yeah, it's quite prolific. And I think we're seeing this today. And you mentioned it. You know, we're constantly connected. And there's an expectation for the workforce to be constantly on, constantly responsive. With the increased digitization comes this expectation of always on and always operating. That human element has been decreased in the workforce, right? It's like work, 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 get things done. I'm sending emails at 1 a.m. Why aren't you responding at 110? Yeah. I mean, I think the thing that I've noticed throughout my career 
Like when I started, we had to basically man the landline and email, right? And then mobiles and text messages came along and then all the apps. And now it's like there's hundreds you have to monitor. Not only monitor, but the expectation, you know, as I said, the expectation of, of always being armed and ready, so to speak. To respond. Are we seeing this having any impact on business operations? I mean, surely it must. So one of the primary risks or indicators or threats with kind of the insider situation. So we're, we're certainly seeing increase in insider threats, right? To the point where Verizon has carved it out as a primary thing to be looking at. Mm-hmm. But one of the factors there is this accidental insider threat, right? It's It means that it's really not malicious. It's people making mistakes. You know, you have folks who are trying to meet the demands of the work that's been imposed on them, their jobs, the business constantly being connected and operating, and they're trying to operate at 200%. And they're trying to be as efficient and effective as possible. So they're taking shortcuts. Mm -hmm. They may be, you know, bypassing controls that have been put in place just to get the work done. Or now the perimeter has disappeared and is now the perimeter of data and protection is is in the employee's hands. They're taking their work home, so they're dropping their work on USBs. And if a company doesn't have a good security capability to monitor that, you don't know where that data is going. So this is how you end up with breaches, misconfigurations, people working long hours and misconfiguring things, right? And the data is out there. You know, it's interesting. It's kind of like a push me, pull you, the idea of security and productivity. So if the employee is constantly focused on produce more in less time, use less resource, get the job done, they're, of course, in their brain going to start looking for shortcuts. And they may not know enough about security, for example, or information security to even think that that shortcut actually harms the company and lowers the whole risk profile of the organization. That's right. And if you look at the Verizon data breach investigations report, which I mentioned earlier, they attribute 30%. So approximately one third of the insider incidents related to these employee errors, which I would attribute to this burnout, exhaustion, disengagement that employees are experiencing today. Right. So you think that the the fact that people are being driven too hard is actually having a direct impact on the security profile of an environment or an organization? Absolutely. Absolutely. I would say there's a direct correlation to the added stress. And what can employers do about this? I mean, this is, you know, it could be scary for a normal employee who's thinking, look, my job, I've got serious competitors out there. I need to drive my lean company as hard as I can to stay alive, to stay afloat. Yeah. What organizations need to do, in my opinion, is not make it a security issue. Everybody expects the CISO to be talking about security issues. I think it has to go deeper into the organization, has to affect the culture and the operations of the organization deeply. So you have to engage your HR leaders, your finance leaders. They all have to be in tune and be speaking the same thing. And that's really focusing on connecting the dots between the employee's well-being and being security aware. And the good news is companies are starting to take proactive steps to address this and kind of rise to this challenge. But it's a lot of work because it literally takes a village. So what are the steps you're seeing companies take at the moment? It varies depending on the resources and the size of your organization. When you see kind of your Fortune 500 companies take an approach, they'll add an employee assistance programs to their workforce where employees have an outlet with HR, with their managers to have conversations and communicate often about the stresses at work. 
these large organizations have the opportunity to put these you know programs in place to relieve employees from stress, which ultimately reduces the potential for an insider event. But you're seeing smaller companies also engaging in opening up lines of communications for organizations. It comes down to communicating frequently, giving your employee base an avenue to have these conversations about how they're feeling at work. You're trying to relieve the emotional impact that the stress is having on an employee. And you're starting to see these programs pop up even in small to mid-sized companies. So that's important. Also having good policy and procedure in place, that's human readable, right? Making sure that companies are writing their policy and procedures in a way that the employees can understand them and digest them and live by them. Traditionally, organizations write policy and procedure for lawyers, not for employees. So having good, clear, understandable policies and procedures for your employee base is, is important. And we're starting to see kind of a shift there in how these things are written. I imagine it's quite hard for your typical employer as well, because it's only been, what, a decade or 15 years that technology has really spiked in terms of how easily it would be to get in touch with your employee out of hours. I mean, you just technically can send a text or give a phone call. So it makes sense to me that employers would naturally try and take advantage of that a little bit. But actually, the end result of that whole environment is that you've got disgruntled, burnt out employees productivity and stress don't have to be aligned. You can have a very productive, happy workforce, presumably. A lot of people forget many of us work for organizations, you know, whether it's 100 people or 100,000 people. But no matter what size, the organization tends to stop at your manager, right? It's like your perception of the organization is what your manager is essentially kind of revealing and portraying to you as the employee. And so making sure that your managers and your directors and your vice presidents, you know, all the way up the chain are well-versed in kind of the issues that exist and how to, at a, even at a high level, how to address them with their employee base is key. So it's clear communication and support at that level really will go a long way in the general population and employee base of an organization. And all go a long way to actually make it a more secure environment as well, right? Right. Ultimately, right. This can all translate into some sort of an event within the organization, a breach, whether accidental or malicious. And having the ability to reduce that is key, whether it is in these kind of more soft areas or with technology and policy and procedure. You kind of take that holistic approach to reduce your threats and risks. Thank you, Chris, for joining us on Hacking Humans. It's my pleasure. The takeaway is pretty clear. If you're pushing your employees too hard, they may start making mistakes that can impact your security. And to me, this is a bit of a no-brainer. In 2018, money and work were the top two sources of stress, according to the American Psychological Association. And recently, we've been hearing about Microsoft trialing the four-day work week in their research lab in Japan. And guess what they found? A happier and more productive workforce. Dare I say it, I imagine they were more secure as well. <laughs> anyway, it's food for thought. That was Chris Bush, a CISO at Observe It. And this was Carol Terrio for Hacking Humans. Joe, what do you think? Interesting. The Verizon report said that, that the accidental insider threat is responsible for one third of the breaches, <laughs> which is, I find, remarkable. Yeah. One third are, are accidental breaches. Chris talks about people using USBs to take work home, that you don't know where that data is going. Not only that, you really don't know where those USBs have been. 
Yeah. You know, yeah. that's kind of a vector for getting a lot of things onto a network that might be even air gapped. Yeah. I mean, it strikes me, though, even more than the specific device, like the USB device, this right. whole notion that all this work is taking place outside of the moat. Right. right outside yeah. of the, the castle walls. And so you don't have the necessarily have those security things in place that you have to protect your business. Right. But that's the shape of things these days. It is, unfortunately. Security does have to be part of the organization's culture. Mm -hmm. uh, I can't agree with that more. It has to be part of what we do. And to that point, Chris also points out that policies and procedures are no good if people can't or won't read them. Mm -hmm. Don't write these things for attorneys. Right. <laughs> right. Write them for the people who are going to be implementing them. Almost like a work instruction, really. It's got to be written at that level. It shouldn't be written so that somebody without a law, you don't have to have Ben Yellen sitting here telling you what this means. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, I think that's so important. And it also strikes me that you need to keep those lines of communication open, but you have to encourage communication when it comes to these things. In other words, not just say to your employees, hey, are you are you using all the security things that we have in place? Make sure you're checking in and saying, is there anything that's getting in the way of you getting your work done? Yeah. Is there anything that's just a big old pain in the butt? Yep. You know, if there's if there's something we could do to improve your work day to make things easier, what mm -hmm. could we do? And if they start coming up and saying, you know, these security things are really slowing me down. Yeah, security solution that gets in the way of work is, is you're running the risk of that being circumvented. Yes. Um, you know, yes. The, one of my favorite stories that I've told many times on this show and on other shows is that there was a hospital who had a duty nurse whose job was to go around and wiggle the mice on a computer so that the machine wouldn't lock. Right. So that when somebody needed to walk <laughs> up to it, it was available for use and they didn't have to waste time logging in. The part of their work procedure became circumventing the security practice. Right, right. And because and, there was a greater need. Right. The doctors had to access absolutely. the computers yeah, in to, a hospital, save, to save lives. In a hospital, if your security <laughs> solution gets in the way of providing health care, it's out the door. Yeah. It's gone. Yeah. That's not so life and death, literally life and death in, in, a, in regular businesses that aren't medical businesses, but in a hospital it is. Right. It could be the life or death of your company. Yeah. A security breach. You know, yes. Big enough. Oh, absolutely. Type, type a security thing. breach can, can end your company. Yeah. Especially small business. Sometimes when I give talks, I say, name for me some data breaches. And people always say Target, Equifax, all these things. But nobody ever says the Broadway Grill, mm -hmm. right, which was a small business that was put out of business by uh, a carter from Russia who had compromised their, their point of sale system and was harvesting cards. And they got sued by the cardholders and the card companies. Mm. And they had to shut down. Right. Nobody ever talks about that. Yeah. Well, I think this is really a good food for thought here. If you're someone who's responsible for these things in your organization, it's a good to take stock and make sure that you're not inadvertently causing some some potential security situations by just trying to do the right thing. Right. All right. Well, uh, thanks to Carol Terrio for bringing this story to us. Thanks to Chris Bush from Observe It for uh, being on the show again. And we want to thank all of you for listening. That is this week's show. We want to thank our sponsors, Know Before. Their new school security awareness training will help you keep your people on their toes with security at the top of their mind. Stay current about the state of social engineering by subscribing to their Cyber Heist News at knowbefore.com slash news. Think of Knowbefore for your security training. We want to thank the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more at isi.jhu.edu. The Hacking Humans podcast is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our coordinating producer is Jennifer Iben. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Bittner. And I'm Joe Kerrigan. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.